I'm going to direct your attention to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John, the second chapter, and uh, read my text from there, verses 15 through 17 is where I'll be reading tonight. 1 John 2, 15, the word of the Lord says, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. For just a little while tonight, I am going to minister on what the Lord has laid upon my heart, and my title is simply, The Love God Hates. Father, tonight, I pray that you would guide my words so that they would be yours that you would speak with clarity and precision, and that, Lord, you would bring conviction to our hearts and that we would respond to it obediently. Let it not be in my spirit, but in the spirit of the Holy One of Israel. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Praise God. The love God hates. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult to imagine God being love and hating anything in the same sentence, much less the same message. But the Bible tells us God hates human sacrifice to false gods. The Bible tells us God hates idol worship. The Bible tells us in Psalm 11:5 that God hates both the wicked and those who love violence. We know that Isaiah decrees that God hates fake and false worship. And let us not forget Proverbs, these six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he, the person, he that sows discord among brethren. These five passages I've just referred to all reveal that there are things and people whom God hates. Now, that's not a very popular message today. And and a lot of people are are wanting to present a Jesus that just loves everybody. It's a compromised, watered-down, weak and anemic message that does so. So I will do my best to speak the truth in love, but I can't lie And Scripture can't lie, and God can't lie. And so, uh, you know, pray with me as I'm teaching and preaching this, especially those watching online, because, you know, um, I've been attacked before for things I've preached from this pulpit. And, you know, so I'm, if if, if it comes as a result of this one tonight, so be it, you know. But I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to preach what the Lord says. Maybe, Maybe the way that we can merge 
the title of this message and, and, and at the outset what you might be figuring out what it's going to be talking about, maybe the way that we can understand it is to understand that God hates sin and wickedness so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us so much and hates sin so much that He was willing to die and rise again that we might be saved. And I want to talk tonight for just a little bit about the love God hates. And let me start by saying we should hate the world because of what it is. By the way, the love God hates is a love of the world. Now, when I say world, I'm not talking about the beauty of creation. I love rivers and mountains. I love streams. I love the rain. I love spring. Don't like snow too much. You all know that, you know. But, I mean, I, I, I bear with it, you know. Wish it was only a couple inches a year, a season. But that's okay. But I love creation. And, and so I'm not saying we should hate the world as in hating creation. Neither am I saying we should hate the world as in humanity, neither of which is what God is even saying, but rather we should hate the godless system of evil that is vehemently anti-Christ. And so when I say the world, that's what I'm referring to tonight, and specifically saying we should hate the world, that godless anti-Christ system because of what it is. John writes and warns us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he's referring to the whole circle of the earthly goods and endowments and riches and advantages and pleasures and all that goes with it. All the, When you put it all together, that's what he's referring to, this godless system. We know it's frail. We know it's fleeting. We know that even though it's pleasurable for a season, it's temporal. We know that it stirs desire and, and it seduces one from God, becoming and being the obstacle to a person fulfilling uh, the word of the Lord. So John is referring to Satan's system, which he uses to oppose Christ and his work in the earth. And that's what we should hate. Do you know the world is the exact opposite of what is godly and holy and spiritual? Everything in Satan's system, the world, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And none of those are of the Father, but of the world. Later in John's epistle, he writes and he says, the whole world lies in wickedness. He's referring to that godless system. Satan is referred to in John chapter 12 as the prince of this world. In Ephesians 2, the prince and power of the air. In other words, this system. We know that he has an arsenal of evil and seducing spirits who influence the affairs of this world. Whom we, as the Bible says, resist steadfast in the faith whom we submit to God and resist the devil and he must flee. And just as the Holy Spirit works through us to accomplish his work on earth, so does Satan work through as an imitator through wicked people to accomplish his antichrist cause. 
Therefore, we have to remember that while we are in this world, we are not of this world. We who are born again, born from above, have received a new citizenship and it's in heaven. And it's our responsibility to bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're in a spiritual battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle that can only be fought with the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal but are mighty through God. That's the only way strongholds and imaginations are going to come down. And quite frankly, it starts by us taking our thoughts captive and bringing them to the obedience of Christ. That's where the battlefield is won right there. Amen. Or the battle, not the battlefield. The battle is won right there. Amen. Our warfare must be as such. And by the way, since we're born again, we no longer assimilate to culture. We're not just counterculture. We're anti-culture. Possibly the analogy to help explain this would be an astronaut. He or she must wear a protective suit that can produce oxygen when they leave the spacecraft. Otherwise, if they are outside of that suit and outside of that supply of oxygen, they'll die. Well, it's the same with us. If we don't have the oxygen, i.e. the Holy Spirit, and the protective suit, the armor of God, we too will die. Die spiritually. Amen. But not only should we hate the world because of what it is, there's another more serious reason why born-again believers must not love the world, and that is we should hate the world because of what it does to us. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what does it do to us? We should hate the world because of what it does. What does it do? It removes the love of God from us. When God told them not to eat the fruit or else they would die, it was a twofold death. Death would come into their lives. They were eternal beings. And so once they ate the fruit, death and decay began to work in their bodies. So it was a physical death. But more importantly, it was a spiritual death. Because now they would be separated from the presence of God. And that's what the world does to us. It separates us. Isaiah even said it, I think in the 59th chapter. It's our sin, our iniquities that has separated us from the Lord. Worldliness then is first and foremost an attitude before it's an activity. By the way, you're about to hear some things that are going to sound very similar to what you heard in the revival. But again, I don't talk to Ryan and he didn't talk to me. And I had these notes typed a week before he came. I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm telling you that to say God knew what he was going to say tonight long before Ryan ever got here. I didn't know what he was going to preach. Nor did I tell him what to preach. It is possible for a born-again believer to stay away from worldly amusements and still love the world. Why? Because again, worldliness is first a matter of the mind and the heart. 
The Greek word for love found in 1 John 2.15 means of persons to welcome, to entertain, or be fond of, or love dearly, and of things to be well pleased, or to be contented at or with a thing. In other words, we must never be entertained by the sins for which Jesus Christ died. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. We must never be entertained by the sins for which Jesus Christ died. Worldliness will adversely affect your response to both the love and the will of God because they work in tandem. Anything or anyone that causes you to lose your love for God will cause you to lose out on eternity with God. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. Its system employs three key weapons made to distract you and to move you and separate you from the love of God. They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's break this down just a little bit because the lust of the flesh includes anything and everything that appeals to the sinful, carnal nature of humanity. The lust of the flesh is that dark, empty, formless existence which blinds the world to God's light and His love and His life. Paul calls Satan the God of this world who has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This is why everyone must be born again. John 3, 3, the first time Jesus said it, was He said, you must be born again to see the kingdom. The second time, enter. There are certain desires of the flesh, though, that are not worldly in and of themselves. Hunger is a desire of the flesh. Right? Thirst is a desire of the flesh. Rest is a desire of the flesh. And even sex is a desire of the flesh. And all of them can be good desires when they're in the parameters of the Word of God. However, if it becomes gluttony, that's a sin. If it becomes drunkenness, that's a sin. If it becomes laziness, that's a sin. And if it becomes immorality, that's a sin. So isn't it interesting that instead of Satan creating something new, he can't create, he only can imitate. He can only take the true, the real, and cheapen it. And convince Eve that she needs to be like God. Hello, you already were, Eve. This is again why we must be born again. So we both see and enter the kingdom of God. We have taken on the nature of the first Adam. We're born in sin, shape and iniquity. But if we're born again, repented of our sins, buried in His name in baptism, amen, and received the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, we take on the nature of the last Adam. Which means we have the power and the ability to overcome sin in the flesh. 
Let's talk about the lust of the eyes. This is the second device that Satan uses to tempt God's people. And, and again, it started in the garden when Satan made the fruit more pleasant to the eyes. I don't know if he shined it up. I don't know if he put some light on it. I don't know what he did, but somehow he caused it to appear more pleasant to the eyes. Is it any wonder today that technology runs rampant to get our eyes attracted to something? The pop and pizzazz. You know, I can remember, uh, anybody remember playing Oregon Trail? Right? It was a fun game. You know, but the graphics on that? Wow, have you seen the games today? I, I saw one game one time that somebody was playing. I, I thought it was a movie. It looked real. Like, that's a game? That's, that's computer-generated stuff? Wow. Strange and weird. And, you know, we can now talk to our phones. You know, hey, Google, hey, Siri, and our phones talk back to us. I asked Siri to tell me a joke the other day. It was pretty funny. You know, I'm telling you, it's, we're living in a weird world where, wow. But our eyes are attracted to things. Satan is still using the same tactics, the lust of the eyes. Companies spend billions of dollars to create the right commercial to grab your attention, to make you look. Why? Because they want to influence you in their agenda. They have a purpose. They have a plan. This is why we must realize that our eyes are the windows to our minds and pray like the psalmist did in Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. The third device that Satan uses is the pride of life. Now, we know God's glory is rich and full and beautiful and man's glory is vain and empty. The Greek word for pride describes someone who is always trying to press others with their own importance. Me, 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 I, 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 look at me, me, I, 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 me, 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 I. You know, it's all about me. You know, that's what they're singing. But we know the pride of life produces sin. So John explains that born-again believers would be hated by the world, by that system. But sadly, I see a lot of believers wanting to be liked by the world. Wait a minute. We're, Jesus said if they hated me, they're going to hate you also. And, and there are churches and preachers and believers today saying, oh, we want to be liked by the world. What? Hold on just a second here. I'm not saying we should be mean and cruel and, and stupid. What I am saying is we should make sure that we're walking according to the Word of God. I want to be liked by God. And if being liked by God means I'm hated by the world, then so be it. I'll choose being liked by God. By the way, if you're a friend of the world, then you're an enemy of God. Hmm. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't 
copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So being, con- watch this, being conformed to this world will lead you to be being condemned with this world. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and eventually wound up in Sodom. And I know the Bible calls him righteous Lot. He vexed his soul. I get that. But he didn't have to. If he'd have pitched his tent somewhere else, he'd have ended up there. That's why my grandpa used to say, you better be looking where you're going because you're going where you're looking. Anybody ever drive and look off the side of the road and all of a sudden you're hitting the rumble strips? It's because you're going where you're looking. It's a natural phenomenon. Lot was looking at Sodom and wound up in Sodom. So don't pitch your tent toward the sinful world we live in. Pitch it to a higher plane. Pitch it to a greater reality. Amen. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, I would much rather be divided by truth than united by error. This world is not our home. And I refuse to allow anything or anyone that this thing, this world can offer to cause me to lose out on eternity with Jesus. I would much rather preach a truth that hurts and then heals than to preach a lie that comforts and then kills. I'd much rather be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. I'd much rather be unpopular here but popular in eternity than vice versa. And I'd much rather stand alone with the truth than to join the multitude with a lie. Don't be consumed with this world's obsession for gratifying carnal desires. When we go on fast as a church, or when you fast, maybe you have a regular time each week and that you fast, it's it's not just to push a plate away or or skip your favorite coffee or something else. It's to, to teach your flesh to be in subjection. Fasting doesn't twist God's arm and, okay, okay, fine, I'll bless you, okay, okay, yes. No, fasting gets your flesh with the arm bent behind its back saying, flesh, you're not going to be my boss. I'm not going to be led around by my carnal desires. Amen. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are these three areas of temptation, which, by the way, was the very things that the serpent used on Eve. Well, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't changed his game plan because when he comes 4,000 years later, he does the same three temptations with Jesus in the wilderness. Here's what's interesting, though. Eve, because she didn't know the Word, didn't know she was already like God, and by the way, she added to the Word. She said, oh, we can't eat it or touch it. God never said don't touch it. So either she made it up in her own mind, or Adam added it, or somewhere along the line they, they decided not to touch it, and they made it a rule, but it wasn't God's Word, so she didn't really know God's Word. 
However, how did Jesus succeed against the serpent, against Satan? By saying, it is written. He didn't debate with the devil. He didn't go on Fox or CNN and say, we're going to have a debate here and see who wins and take a poll. He just said, it is written. Even when Satan quoted the scripture himself, he didn't correct him. He just, it is written. And the third time, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. He kept quoting the word. And it was by the quoting of the word and knowing the word and being the word that he overcame. That's why the word is so important. Listen, please, I don't want you to think that that what I'm about to say is preaching against, you know, the, the, the... fun things of this you know I, I i enjoy having a good time i you know i, I know all that and I, I know we're we're multifaceted beings but but if you can rattle off to me the statistics of your favorite team but you stumble over you know well i think the bible says something about somewhere i think it's in the old testament maybe or the new you got a problem if you can sit and watch a three-hour you know, movie because it's your favorite movie and be riveted the whole time on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen even though you've seen the same thing because it's like Hallmark, it's always the same plot. But you can't spend three minutes in the Word? you got a problem. You're imbalanced. Amen. Do something to make it come alive. Now, that being said, I'm going to be vulnerable and honest with you, okay? Is that all right? I mean, I already told you I'm not going to lie, so here we go. There are passages I find that are just a little bit like, okay, he beget, he beget, okay, yeah, whew. You know, there are some accounts that I've read so many times that I have to be careful not to become nonchalant. So a couple years ago, I found something that helped me. Found a YouTube channel that has dramatized scripture. It's no video, it's just audio, but, but if it's a woman's voice like Sarah saying something, you hear a female voice. God's voice has this reverb added into it, you know, and, and occasionally you might even hear like if, if there's a chariot, you might hear the wheels turning. What it did, or what it did, what it done, yeah, there we go, what it did was it helped me to begin to process the story in a different light because I began to activate the creative side of my brain going, oh, I gotta imagine, oh, that did sound like a woman, okay, and I wonder what Sarah sounded like, and I found myself becoming re-interested in the Word of God. And again, some of the things I'm saying to you, trust me, I'm not saying to you without having said them to myself first. Because when God preaches these messages to me first and I'm typing them, I'm like, oh boy, that hurts. That smarts. Oh, Jesus. Sometimes it's not amen. Sometimes it's oh me. In other words, here's what it boils down to. The more you love God's word, the less you'll love this world. And this segues into the third reason why we should hate this world And that's because of where it's going. 1 John 2.17 And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. A careful study of history 
will show you that there have been civilizations that have rose to power and they were great and grand and glorious and they failed and faltered and, and are no more. Empires came and went. World leaders rose and died. We know that from Scripture, God cleansed the entire world with a flood, a global flood recorded in Genesis 6 through 9. But did you know that there are four New Testament writers that also refer to this event and point to the apocalypse, the second coming of the Lord, in which the Bible says God will come in flaming fire taking vengeance upon them that know not God and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this world, its system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it has an expiration date. And its end is eternity in the lake of fire. However, the one who does the will of God, which is the word of God, the one who abides by, lives by, and endures to the end, will abide forever in the eternal presence of God. Well, you talk about a trade-off. I want that. I don't want to perish in the lake of fire. I know I'm in the world, but I'm not of this world. So like the heroes of faith recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, we should consider ourselves strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In John, 1 John 2.17, we see another example of what the entire Bible is all about. I am convinced, after I began preaching the Psalms in March of 2016, I'm convinced even more in my mind that you can sum up the entire Bible into two choices. Heaven or hell. Life or death. Blessing or curse. You, you see it all throughout the Bible. You see it in Deuteronomy when Moses steps up and says, Behold, I've set before you life or death, blessing or cursing, therefore choose life. You see it when Joshua in chapter 24 says, Therefore choose you this day whom you will serve. So me and my house will serve the Lord. You see it on Mount Carmel with Elijah when he says, How long halt you between two opinions? You see it in, on Calvary where two thieves accuse and rail on Jesus, but one of them repents and one of them doesn't. Over and over and over and over. You see the narrow way versus the broad way. There's, there's no in-between, folks. There's no purgatory where you get a chance to work some things out and, and pay penitence and, and maybe get into heaven or something. There, it doesn't happen that way. And as I've said here recently, it's not YOLO, you only live once. No, it's you only live forever. You see, the born-again believer lives for eternity where the Bible says there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, while the worldly believer lives for temporal pleasures that fulfill his or her flesh, but only for a season. The born-again believer has unspeakable joy and full of glory both now and in eternity. And at best, the worldly unbeliever has a temporal happiness now, but will have torment in eternity. I mean, it should be a no-brainer which one to choose. The world's system 
gets into us through our hearts. This is why, again, John said, love, not the world. He referenced love. He, he used that to, to imply the seed of emotion. Don't let it get into your heart. We know Jeremiah says it's, our hearts are desperately wicked. That's why when I hear people say, oh, follow your heart. I'm like, no, 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 no. Follow Jesus. <laughs> your heart can fool you. Right? I mean, we know feelings are fickle. Okay? Today I had one of those days. Anybody ever one of those days where it's like Murphy is in the car with you the whole day? You know what I'm talking about? You know? Just, it was one of the days, just, you know. And, and if I'm not careful, I can let my feelings about that affect fact. And in my mind, change fact when in fact it's not being changed, it's my perception of that. Right? I'm not going to follow my heart, I'm going to follow the word. Amen. Amen. As born-again believers, we must decide, will we live for the present and the temporal, or will we live for the will of God and abide forever? A love for the world is the love God hates. Hmm. I want you to think about that for a minute. God hates a love for this world. So therefore, we, should, we too should hate what God hates and love what God loves. And if there's a love God hates, there's also a hate God loves. And I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to just, you know, play on words here, but the Bible says, you, ye that love the Lord, Psalm 97.10, hate evil. And as equally as there is a hate that God, or a love that God hates, there's also a love that He hates. Amos 5.15 says, Hate the evil and love the good. Romans 12.9 says, Abhor that which is evil. Cling or cleave to that which is good. It's all it all boils down to. Doing that, being that, living that. Amen. You know, as I was typing and preparing this message, thought of a, a song. It came to my heart. And I wonder tonight, it's simple. If you don't know it, you can pick it up pretty simply. But I just wonder if we could sing it as a prayer to God as we look inwardly and as we test our own hearts. Amen? Would you do that with me right now? Would you help me close out this service in this way? And, you know, if you want to pray a little bit, you want to move around, go right ahead. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> I want to live the way He wants me to live. 
I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever out love the Lord. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever out love the Lord. Let's sing it one more time. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever out love the Lord. Would you lift your hands and your voices and begin to talk to God with me? Jesus, we truly want to live for you. We truly want to do your will, God, in all things, every day. God, we want to have you in our lives, leading us, guiding us. We want to ensure that our environments, oh God, are pleasing to you. God, we want to walk in your truth and walk in your love, walk in your victory and walk in your wisdom and walk in faith and walk in all these things that please you and love what you love and hate what you hate. Hallelujah. Give us your grace, your mercy, your strength, your help to do all of these things. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I want to please Him in all that I do. And you know, the, the, the longer I live for Him, and the closer we get to going to heaven, the more I want to stay on this path. There, let, let me tell you, I, I'm, I'm to the point, I'm, I'm, I can look back and say, you know, I've lived for God this long, I ain't giving up now. I'm not turning back now, amen, because I know he's coming again, and I want to make heaven my home. Praise God. Praise God. A number of you have been mentioning to me, uh, coworkers, friends, family members, that God is touching uh, through your witness, through your testimony, and I want to encourage each of you to keep doing that, because God is moving. God is drawing by His Spirit. Amen? Amen. And, and the thing I'm praying for is God draw. Because no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw. God draw people. Amen. And use us to be those lights 
in their life and shine the light into the darkness of their existence that they might see who he is. So, amen, let's keep doing that. Let's keep reaching out, talking to people, sharing our testimony, talking to them about Jesus. You know, um, I know like events like the Ironman Breakfast coming this Sunday morning, use some of those types of things, maybe invite uh, a friend if they're, you know, if, if there's an event going on in your age group or whatever, invite them to come to that as well. And let's begin to see what God will do as he touches people's lives. And you know what else? Talk to somebody else tonight before you leave and ask them, hey, who are you witnessing to? Who, who's a name or two that you can share with me? And then pray for one another. Take those names and begin to pray for them. You've heard me say this many times. There's prayer cards if you want to take and give them out. There's business cards if you want to take and give them out. Let's reach out to people and share who Jesus is. Praise God. I don't believe it's going to be too much longer before we see the fulfillment you heard the man of God Sunday talk about the fulfillment of those prophecies. I'm telling you, faith is restored. Faith is renewed. There is something great that is happening, not going to happen, is happening right now. Praise God. And I believe it in Jesus' name. Praise God.